Homily 18 of Homilies on Ephesians by St. John Chrysostom. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 18, 5, 5 and 6. For this ye know of a surety, that no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, which is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no man deceive you with empty words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. There were, it is likely, in the time of our forefathers also, some who weakened the hands of the people, and brought into practice that which is mentioned by Ezekiel, or rather who did the works of the false prophets, who profaned God among his people for handfuls of barley a thing by the way done methinks by some even at this day when for example we say that he who calleth his brother a fool shall depart into hell-fire others say what is he that calls his brother a fool to depart into hell-fire impossible say they and again when we say that the covetous man is an idolater in this too again they make abatements and say the expression is hyperbolical and in this manner they underrate and explain away all the commandments it was in allusion then to these that the blessed paul at this time when he wrote to the ephesians spoke thus for this ye know that no fornicator nor unclean person nor covetous man which is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god adding let no man deceive you with empty words now empty words are those which for a while are gratifying but are in no wise borne out in facts because the whole case is a deception because of these things cometh the wrath of god upon the sons of disobedience because of fornication he means because of covetousness because of uncleanness or both because of these things and because of the deceit inasmuch as there are deceivers sons of disobedience he thus calls those who are utterly disobedient those who disobey him verses seven and eight be not ye therefore partakers with them for ye were once darkness but are now light in the lord observe how wisely he urges them forward first from the thought of christ that ye love one another and do injury to no man then on the other hand from the thought of punishment and hell-fire for ye were once darkness says he but are now light in the lord which is what he says also in the epistle to the romans what fruit then had ye at that time in the things whereof ye are now ashamed and reminds them of their former wickedness that is to say thinking what ye once were and what ye are now become do not run back into your former wickedness nor do despite to the grace of god ye were once darkness but are now light in the lord not he says by your own virtue but through the grace of god has this accrued to you that is to say ye also were sometime worthy of the same punishments but now are so no more 
walk therefore as children of light what is meant however by children of light he adds afterwards verses nine and ten for the fruit of the light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is well pleasing unto the lord in all goodness he says this is opposed to the angry and the bitter and righteousness this to the covetous and truth this to false pleasure not those former things he says which i was mentioning but their opposites in all that is the fruit of the spirit ought to be evinced in everything proving what is well pleasing unto the lord so that those things are tokens of a childish and imperfect mind verses eleven twelve and thirteen and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather even reprove them for the things which are done by them in secret it is a shame even to speak of but all things when they are reproved are made manifest by the light he had said ye are light now the light reproves by exposing the things which take place in the darkness so that if ye says he are virtuous and conspicuous the wicked will be unable to lie hidden for just as when a candle is set all are brought to light and the thief cannot enter so if your light shine the wicked being discovered shall be caught so then it is our duty to expose them how then does our lord say judge not that ye be not judged paul did not say judge he said reprove that is correct and the words judge not that ye be not judged he spoke with reference to very small errors indeed he added why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye but what paul is saying is of this sort as a wound so long as it is embedded and concealed outwardly and runs beneath the surface receives no attention so also sin as long as it is concealed being as it were in darkness is daringly committed in full security but as soon as it is made manifest becomes light not indeed the sin itself for how could that be but the sinner and when he has been brought out to light when he has been admonished when he has repented when he has obtained pardon hast thou not cleared away all his darkness hast thou not then healed his wound hast thou not called his unfruitfulness into fruit either this is his meaning or else what i said above that your life being manifest is light for no one hides an irreproachable life whereas things which are hidden are hidden by darkness covering them verse fourteen wherefore he saith awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and christ shall shine upon thee by the sleeper and the dead he means the man that is in sin for he both exhales noisome odours like the dead and is inactive like one that is asleep and like him he sees nothing but is dreaming and forming fancies and illusions some indeed read and thou shalt touch christ but others 
and Christ shall shine upon thee. And it is rather this latter. Depart from sin, and thou shalt be able to behold Christ. For every one that doeth ill hateth the light, and cometh not to the light. He therefore that doeth it not cometh to the light. Now he is not saying this with reference to the unbelievers only, for many of the faithful, no less than unbelievers, hold fast by wickedness, nay, some far more. Therefore to these also it is necessary to exclaim, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine upon thee. To these it is fitting to say this also, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. If, then, he is not the God of the dead, let us live. Now there are some who say that the words, The covetous man is an idolater, are hyperbolical. However, the statement is not hyperbolical, it is true. How, and in what way? Because the covetous man apostatizes from God, just as the idolater does. And lest you should imagine this is a bare assertion, there is a declaration of Christ which saith, Ye cannot serve God and mammon. If, then, it is not possible to serve God and mammon, they who serve mammon have thrown themselves out of the service of God, and they who have denied his sovereignty and serve lifeless gold, it is plain enough that they are idolaters. But I never made an idol, a man will say, nor set up an altar, nor sacrificed sheep, nor poured libations of wine. No, I came into the church and lifted up my hands to the only begotten Son of God. I partake of the mysteries, I communicate in prayer, and in everything else which is a Christian's duty. How then, he will say, am I a worshipper of idols? Yes, and this is the very thing which is the most astonishing of all, that when thou hast had experience, and hast tasted the loving kindness of God, and hast seen that the Lord is gracious, thou shouldest abandon him who is gracious, and take to thyself a cruel tyrant, and shouldest pretend to be serving him, whilst in reality thou hast submitted thyself to the hard and galling yoke of covetousness. Thou hast not yet told me of thine own duty done, but only of thy master's gifts. For tell me, I beseech thee, whence do we judge of a soldier? Is it when he is on duty guarding the king, and is fed by him, and called the king's own? Or is it when he is minding his own affairs and interest? To pretend to be with him, and to be attentive to his interest, while he is advancing the cause of the enemy, we declare to be worse than if he breaks away from the king's service and joins the enemy. Now then thou art doing despite to God, just as an idolater does, not with thine own mouth singly, but with the ten thousands of those whom thou hast wronged. Yet you will say, an idolater he is not. But surely, whenever they say, Oh, that Christian, that covetous fellow, then not only is he himself committing outrage by his own act, but he frequently forces those also whom he has wronged to use these words and if they used them not this is to be said to the account of their reverence do we not see that such is the fact 
what else is an idolater or does not he too worship passions oftentimes not mastering his passions i mean for example when we say that the pagan idolater worships idols he will say no but it is venus or it is mars and if we say who is this venus the more modest amongst them will say it is pleasure or what is this mars it is wrath and in the same way dost thou worship mammon if we say who is this mammon it is covetousness and this thou art worshipping i worship it not thou wilt say why not because thou dost not bow thyself down nay but as it is thou art far more a worshipper in thy deeds and practices for this is the higher kind of worship and that you may understand this look in the case of god who more truly worship him they who merely stand up at the prayers or they who do his will clearly enough these latter the same also is it with the worshippers of mammon they who do his will they truly are his worshippers however they who worship the passions are oftentimes free from the passions one may see a worshipper of mars oftentimes governing his wrath but this is not true of thee thou makest thyself a slave to thy passion yes but thou slayest no sheep no thou slayest men reasonable souls some by famine others by blasphemies nothing could be more frenzied than a sacrifice like this who ever beheld souls sacrificed how accursed is the altar of covetousness when thou passest by this idol's altar here thou shalt see it reeking with the blood of bullocks and goats but when thou shalt pass by the altar of covetousness thou shalt see it breathing the shocking odour of human blood stand here before it in this world and thou shalt see not the wings of birds burning no vapour no smoke exhaled but the bodies of men perishing for some throw themselves among precipices others tie the halter others thrust the dagger through their throat hast thou seen the cruel and inhuman sacrifices wouldst thou see yet more shocking ones than these then i will show thee no longer the bodies of men but the souls of men slaughtered in the other world yes for it is possible for a soul to be slain with the slaughter peculiar to the soul for as there is a death of the body so is there also of the soul the soul that sinneth saith the prophet it shall die the death of the soul however is not like the death of the body it is far more shocking for this bodily death separating the soul and the body the one from the other releases the one from many anxieties and toils and transmits the other into a manifest abode then when the body has been in time dissolved and crumbled away it is again gathered together in incorruption and receives back its own proper soul such we see is this bodily death but that of the soul is awful and terrific for this death when dissolution takes place does not let it pass as the body does but binds it down again to an imperishable body and consigns it to the unquenchable fire 
this then is the death of the soul and as therefore there is a death of the soul so is there also a slaughter of the soul what is the slaughter of the body it is the being turned into a corpse the being stripped of the energy derived from the soul what is the slaughter of the soul it is its being made a corpse also and how is the soul made a corpse because as the body then becomes a corpse when the soul leaves it destitute of its own vital energy so also does the soul then become a corpse when the holy spirit leaves it destitute of his spiritual energy such for the most part are the slaughters made at the altar of covetousness they are not satisfied they do not stop at men's blood no the altar of covetousness is not glutted unless it sacrifice the very soul itself also unless it receive the souls of both the sacrificer and the sacrificed for he who sacrifices must first be sacrificed and then he sacrifices and the dead sacrifices him who is yet living for when he utters blasphemies when he reviles when he is irritated are not these so many incurable wounds of the soul thou hast seen that the expression is no hyperbole wouldst thou hear again another argument to teach you how covetousness is idolatry and more shocking than idolatry idolaters worship the creatures of god for they worshipped it is said and served the creature rather than the creator but thou art worshipping a creature of thine own for god made not covetousness but thine own insatiable appetite invented it and look at the madness and folly they that worship idols honour also the idols they worship and if any one speak of them with disrespect or ridicule they stand up in their defence whereas thou as if in a sort of intoxication art worshipping an object which is so far from being free from accusation that it is even full of impiety so that thou even more than they excellest in wickedness thou canst never have it to say as an excuse that it is no evil if even they are in the highest degree without excuse yet art thou in a far higher who art for ever censuring covetousness and reviling those who devote themselves to it and who yet doth serve and obey it we will examine if you please whence idolatry took its rise a certain wise man tells us that a certain rich man afflicted with untimely mourning for his son and having no consolation for his sorrow consoled his passion in this way having made a lifeless image of the dead and constantly gazing at it he seemed through the image to have his departed one still whilst certain flatterers whose god was their belly treating the image with reverence in order to do him honour carried on the custom into idolatry so then it took its rise from weakness of soul from a senseless custom from extravagance but not so covetousness from weakness of soul indeed it is only that it is from a worse weakness it is not that one has lost a son nor that he is seeking for consolation in sorrow nor that he is drawn on by flatterers but how is it 
I will tell you. Cain in covetousness overreached God. What ought to have been given to him, he kept to himself. What he should have kept himself, this he offered to God. And thus the evil began even from God. For if we are gods, much more are the first fruits of our possessions. Again, men's violent passion for women arose from covetousness. They saw the daughters of men, and they rushed headlong into lust. And from hence again it went on to money, for the wish to have more than one's neighbor of this world's goods arises from no other source than from love waxing cold. The wish to have more than one's share arises from no other source than recklessness, misanthropy, and arrogance toward others. Look at the earth. How wide is its extent? How far greater than we can use the expanse of the sky and the heaven? It is that he might put an end to the covetousness, that God hath thus widely extended the bounds of the creation. And art thou then still grasping, and even thus? And dost thou hear that covetousness is idolatry, and not shudder even at this? Dost thou wish to inherit the earth? Then hast thou no inheritance in heaven. Art thou eager to leave an inheritance to others, that thou mayest rob thyself of it? Tell me, if any one were to offer thee power to possess all things, wouldst thou be unwilling? It is in thy power now, if thou wilt. Some, however, say that they are grieved when they transmit the inheritance to others, and would fain have consumed it themselves, rather than see others become its masters. Nor do I acquit thee of this weakness, for this too is characteristic of a weak soul. However, at least let as much as this be done. In thy will leave Christ thine heir. It were thy duty indeed to do so in thy lifetime, for this would show a right disposition. Still, at all events, be a little generous, though it be but by necessity. For Christ indeed charged us to give to the poor with this object, to make us wise in our lifetime, to induce us to despise money, to teach us to look down upon earthly things. It is no contempt of money, as you think, to bestow it upon this man and upon that man when one dies, and is no longer master of it. Thou art then no longer giving of thine own, but of absolute necessity, thanks to death, not to thee. This is no act of affection, it is thy loss. However, let it be done even thus, at least then give up thy passion. Moral Consider how many acts of plunder, how many acts of covetousness, thou hast committed. Restore all fourfold. Thus plead thy cause to God. Some, however, there are who arrive at such a pitch of madness and blindness as not even then to comprehend their duty, but who go on acting in all cases just as if they were taking pains to make the judgment of God yet heavier to themselves. This is the reason why our blessed Apostle writes and says, Walk as children of light. Now the covetous man of all others lives in darkness, and spreads great darkness over all things around. And have no fellowship, he adds, with the unfruitful works of darkness, 
but rather even reprove them for the things which are done by them in secret it is a shame even to speak of but all things when they are reproved are made manifest by the light hearken i entreat you all as many of you as like not to be hated for nothing but to be loved what need is there to be hated one says a man commits a robbery and dost thou not reprove him but art afraid of his hatred though this however is not being hated for nothing but dost thou justly convict him and yet fear the hatred convict thy brother incur enmity for the love's sake which thou owest to christ for the love's sake which thou owest to thy brother arrest him as he is on his road to the pit of destruction for to admit him to our table to treat him with civil speeches with salutations and with entertainments these are no signal proofs of friendship no those i have mentioned are the boons which we must bestow upon our friends that we may rescue their souls from the wrath of god when we see them lying prostrate in the furnace of wickedness let us raise them up but they say it is of no use he is incorrigible however do thou thy duty and then thou hast excused thyself to god hide not thy talent it is for this that thou hast speech it is for this that thou hast a mouth and a tongue that thou mayest correct thy neighbour it is dumb and reasonless creatures only that have no care for their neighbour and take no account of others but dost thou while calling god father and thy neighbour brother when thou seest him committing unnumbered wickednesses dost thou prefer his good will to his welfare no do not so i entreat you there is no evidence of friendship so true as never to overlook the sins of our brethren didst thou see them at enmity reconcile them didst thou see them guilty of covetousness check them didst thou see them wronged stand up in their defence it is not on them it is on thyself thou art conferring the chief benefit it is for this we are friends that we may be of use one to another a man will listen in a different spirit to a friend and to any other chance person a chance person he will regard perhaps with suspicion and so in like manner will he a teacher but not so a friend for he says the things which are done by them in secret it is a shame even to speak of but all things when they are reproved are made manifest by the light what is it he means to say here he means this that some sins in this world are done in secret and some also openly but in the other it shall not be so now there is no one who is not conscious to himself of some sin this is why he says but all the things when they are reproved are made manifest by the light what then is this again it will be said meant concerning idolatry it is not the argument is about our life and our sins for everything that is made manifest he says is light wherefore i entreat you be ye never backward to reprove nor displeased at being reproved 
for as long indeed as anything is carried on in the dark it is carried on with greater security but when it has many to witness what is done it is brought to light by all means then let us do all we can to chase away the deadness which is in our brethren to scatter the darkness and to attract to us the sun of righteousness for if there be many shining lights the path of virtue will be easy to themselves and they which are in darkness will be more easily detected while the light is held forth and puts the darkness to flight whereas if it be the reverse there is fear lest as the thick mist of darkness and of sin overpowers the light and dispels its transparency those shining lights themselves should be extinguished let us be then disposed to benefit one another that one and all we may offer up praise and glory to the god of loving-kindness by the grace and loving-kindness of the only begotten son with whom to the father together with the holy ghost be glory strength honour now and for ever and for ever amen End of homily eighteen